Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to a brand new edition, episode 39 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic and Broad Street Hockey is going to join us in just a moment. Let me tell you about Bet Parks real quick because the all new Bet Parks app is up and running. The casino and sports book, it's live. It is fantastic. It is easy to navigate. It is easy to use. It's everything you want in a mobile casino and sports book. And great news is it's right in the palm of your hands. And like I said, you can get in on all the different ways of betting, of whether that's props, parlays, player performances, same game parlays, you name it, it's all there. First to score, two score, uh, power play goals, over-unders on points, you name it, in the NBA, NHL. We've got the playoffs coming up in the NHL. NBA playoffs already underway. And, of course, baseball season. So easy to use, easy to sign up, and use the promo code JASON750. That's going to give new and existing users a risk-free bet up to $750. No other, None of the other companies are doing it that high. The highest I've seen is 500 This is an industry-leading uh, total. JASON750, and you're going to get that risk-free bet up, like I said, up to $750. Some terms and conditions do apply. So download it, check it out, peruse it. And get in on the action. We'll have Tone on Thursday for another edition of Tone's Takes. Tells you where to put your money. Uh, so you got to download the New Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's bring him in right now from The Athletic. You've been hearing him for years also on Broad Street Hockey. Does a great job covering the Flyers. And he joins us on Stick to Hockey Live. It is Charlie O'Connor. And for Charlie, we go like this. We go, boom, we give you a little neon. What's up, Charlie? How's it going, Jason? Thanks for having me. It's going well. It's um, It's been a whirlwind. It's been tick, tick, tick lately, getting down to the end here. Obviously, the, the big story that broke today uh, regarding Sal Rafa and Jim McCross, and I just want to send out you know, my best to those two guys. I don't know anything about it, um, about the, the, the situation from a legal standpoint or anything, but uh, I know those are two really good men, and Hoping, hoping for the best for them and their families. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they've been, uh, you know, dealing with with serious medical issues for for at least the past year, if not longer, uh, and it's not something anybody wants to hear. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll obviously see how the uh, the litigation plays out. And I suspect there's there's a lot more coming in this story. Um, but you know, just them as people, it's not something you, you ever want to hear. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. But um. And two really good guys as well. And, you know, it's weird because trainers do so much for the players, right, to take care of them too. And so we're thinking about those two guys uh, for sure. Um, but there, the, as you said, the story will go on. And there's a lot of storylines with this Flyers team on the ice, off the ice, and and so forth, Charlie. But let's kind of start with what we saw this past weekend uh, with Buffalo because they get swept by Buffalo. Buffalo ended their 18-game losing streak last season against the Flyers and have now beat them five straight times. But again, we know that this lineup is, you know, devoid of a lot of regulars and there's a lot of young guys cutting their teeth. But still, what you saw this weekend uh, was not good. And uh, what's your thoughts kind of on where the state of play is right now? It's not very good. You know, and I know Buffalo is a team that um, they've been playing better uh, you know, over the last maybe few months, uh, but they're still not, you know, obviously anything special of a team. And, uh, and they really, you know, I, I think if anything, the scores of these two games this weekend, you know, were kind of misleading. I, I thought that Buffalo controlled the play for, for the bulk of the, uh, the, the six periods uh, between the two clubs. And uh, it doesn't say a lot for, for kind of where the flyers stand now. Now, as you said, the, the flyers have quite a lot of, of players out of the lineup. You know, obviously they have Sean Gauthier and uh, and Ryan Ellis who've missed most of the year and, and they're key players. And they had a lot of guys who got hurt in that 92 loss to Washington last week. You know, key guys like Cam Atkinson, you know, Carter Hart, Rasmus Ristolainen, um, players who they depend on for a lot of minutes. So that that plays into it, too. But I think in a way this weekend just, you know, sort of showed me you just kind of how far this team is. Um, you know, if if they aren't even on the level of Buffalo, where you know Buffalo didn't just beat them, but they 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 controlled the games. This team has a really really long way to go before it can uh, you know not just put itself back in the playoff picture, but you know legitimately uh, be a a feared team around the league because you give this team its injured players back and I'm not at all convinced that they're anywhere close to, uh, to, 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 to cup contention or, or even, you know, being on the outskirts of it. 
you know, the thing is, is you, like, I believe I, I, don't, I have very little concern about Couturier coming back. Not, not very little. I mean, you're coming off a of back surgery, so there's obvious concern, but the Ryan Ellis situation, uh, I said to Bill Meltzer on Flyers Daily, I said, is he getting treatment at area 51? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it's so shrouded in mystery. And while uh, I'm frustrated that we don't know a whole lot, I'm also kind of impressed that it never got out in some weird way. I mean, this Ryan Ellis situation, we've never seen anything quite like this. Yeah, my understanding from the get-go is that Ellis is a very private person, and he did want to, you know, keep this under wraps because the Flyers, particularly under Chuck Fletcher, you know, have been pretty open about about injuries. The only other one that that I would say under Fletcher that's comparable to this is probably the Nolan Patrick situation. Um, But even that one, you know, they eventually gave the information that they believed was a migraine disorder. It was mostly just through the entirety of camp that they kept it under wraps. You know, the specifics of it. Uh, Mostly Fletcher and his. uh, his front office has has been you know open-ish about injuries i think they're probably more on the uh the, the open side if you're looking at it in comparison to other organizations um certainly more so than than ron hextall who kept everything you know under under lock and key from a, from an injury standpoint even minor ones um but yeah it's it's absolutely concerning that there's still no resolution now mike yo uh before yesterday's game said or strongly implied that he does think a resolution to this is looming he didn't want to specify because he wanted to check with the uh the training staff to make sure um that he was correct he didn't want to reveal anything yet but it does sound like there may be some clarification coming in the next few days on what direction uh, Ellis is going to take. Um, but the fact that it hasn't, you know, that direction hasn't been decided upon yet. It's, it's concerning because the longer this goes, you wonder, is, is this going to linger in the next season? You know, is this something where, you know, there's, there's, a lack of trust between the Ellis camp and the Flyers camp in terms of which direction should be taken with regards to his health. And for a player that, you know, just recently joined the organization and really hasn't played much at all for the organization, you never want to hear that because, you know, you never know what that can turn into, especially for someone who from the start, Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers saw as a, a key part of, you know, the next few years and and how they were going to, you know, reconstruct that defense and, and turn it into a, uh, you know, a legitimate force on the back end. So, um, all of this uncertainty certainly uh, does raise serious questions about Ellis, about the Flyers, and about the uh, you know the direction of the defense as a whole. Not to mention the fact that he's got five years on his contract beyond this one. You know, I mean, where it goes from here, I don't know. I don't. Is it an Eichel situation where there's that that I want to do this, you guys want me to do that? I don't know. And hopefully, we get clarity on that at the conclusion of the season coming up in just a little over. I guess uh, just about a week now at this point, a week from Friday, it'll be um, the 29th when they play that last game. Let me ask you about Chuck, because, you know, you see a lot of people on social media and, and when you're in the moment and you're in a season like this, that's been incredibly bad, incredibly bad. You want to point the finger at what's there right now. But when you look at Chuck Fletcher, how much of the accountability is on his you know, how much of a blood is on his hands for what's taking place right now? Because you can make the case, Charlie, I was talking about Anthony DeMarco about this, that Chuck Fletcher got the, the organization and his hands on the wheel from Ron Hextall in a worse situation than Hextall got it when he got it from Holmgren. Yeah, I mean, that's a that, that's an interesting argument. I, I will say that it didn't appear that was the case. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one thing we forget about the, uh, you know, the end of the home run tenure is that that team was legitimately in salary cap hell. Yeah. And there wasn't much that really could be done in the next couple of years. I think it might've, it's probably a more talented team, but there wasn't much that could be done to improve it beyond where they were, which was middle of the road, just because they had so many contracts and they were so crammed up against the cap and they had a bunch of, of, of deals that just couldn't be moved. Whereas Chuck came into this with some flexibility. He came into this with more young players on cheap deals. You know, he had, I guess, more flexibility. And that's why I think the job was, was attractive you know, to him and it would have been attractive to a lot of people that said, it does appear in retrospect that a lot of the young players that he inherited aren't as good as everyone around the league. And I, I, I don't, maybe not everyone, but I think the bulk of the league 
was much higher on the Flyers' young talent than they ended up turning into. You know, guys like Ivan Provorov, guys like Travis Konechny. And that's not to say they're bad players, but there was an expectation they were going to take further steps forward. And they really haven't. And because of that, the the situation isn't, you know, in retrospect, it was a more difficult situation than it probably appeared at the time. Um, So I guess that's what I'll say about that. Now, going back to your question about Fletcher, you know, kind of how much blood is on his hands. You know, there's been moves that he's made that I I think in retrospect were not the right ones without a doubt. And I'm certainly not absolving him for, but to me, I mean, to me, the, the the more salient critique of Fletcher is is less that he's made the wrong moves and more that he hasn't anticipated problems before they popped up. And that to me, it's more of a foresight critique than it is for me saying that, you know, well, this move was bad and this move is bad. Like, you know, I mean, I can talk, you know, I, I could have an entire segment debating on, on the, you know, the the merits of trading for and then re-signing Rastorist line. And spoiler alert, I didn't agree with it. But like <laughs> beyond that, there weren't a lot of big moves that Fletcher has made that I like strongly disagree with. It's more that, you know, you can critique him for not recognizing that some of the young players weren't as good as the as the rest of the league thought. You can critique him for not recognizing that the coaching, the the relationship between the coaching staff and the players heading into the season had devolved and turned much worse than I think anybody truly realized, and it probably was unfixable. You know, there's there's situations that you know Fletcher probably could have done a better job of getting out in front of, and yeah. you know, and 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 some of it is yeah. just bad luck. Some of it is injuries that unforeseen stuff, but you can make a case that, and I think this is the strongest critique you can make against Fletcher is that he didn't anticipate problems before they happen. And in the end, it's a GM's job to anticipate problems. Yeah. See, the crazy thing is though, in the 1920 season, those young players connect was an all-star, right? Sanheim was playing really well. A lot of times partnered with Phil Myers and, and Provorov was with Niskanen. And then everything changed in the bubble and then beyond. And, like, I mean, how, I'm almost like trying to think, how do you anticipate that those guys are going to fall off when they had the 1920 that they did, right? Like, wh- why did why did it fall off so quickly for those guys? That's the that's the question, too, right? Yeah, and, and that's why it was hard for me to be too critical of, you know, some the, there were there were a lot of critiques thrown in the moment that proved to be correct, you know, in the uh, the offseason after that, that bubble that the flyers didn't do enough that they just kind of sat on their hands. And while that ended up being proven true, you know, I think there's, there's an element of this where it's hard for me to be too critical of it because I think you talk about like process over results. And I think, you know, if you would have decided coming out of the bubble that are, we're not good enough. We need to make big moves. These young players aren't, aren't good enough, whatever you would have been making those decisions for the wrong reasons. Like you would have traded Travis connected because you were mad that he didn't score in the playoffs. And to yeah. me, like that, that's a bad process move. Now in retrospect, in a unique it, circumstance, it, it, it would have been, the, it yeah. would have been the right move probably yeah. because it turned out that connect. So has never been able to rediscover his goal scoring touch from the previous couple yeah. of previous years before that. But it would have been it would have been doing what ultimately proved to be the right thing for the wrong reasons because I'll always advocate for not, you know, overreacting to a bad playoff run by a player or you know especially that playoff run because it was just so weird that the yeah. bubble you know it, it wasn't something that like I think it would have been smart to overreact to even though in retrospect it probably would have been the right move to overreact to it but like that's why it's hard for me to be too critical of the 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 2020 offseason where he didn't do too much because i understood why he didn't do too much like it was it was a logical move it just didn't work that said look this is an unforgiving business it's the gm's job to be right and you can follow a sound process be wrong and it still be your fault because it's your job to be correct and it's your job to make the right moves or not make the wrong moves. And, you know, if you look, the hard truth is that if you, if you construct a team that's the, has the fourth worst record in hockey, you've clearly either made the wrong moves or not made enough of the right moves. You know, it's, yeah. it's not just bad luck that makes a team this bad. You know, it, there's, there's accountability that has to be, has to be held when it comes to the, uh, the, the guy running the show. Yeah. There's a, when you're at this current state, and it's not just one offseason, it's multiple failures to, to lead you to this. Um, let me ask you about TK, Sanheim, and Provorov, because they're the three names that get thrown around the most sure. as guys that are going to be traded this offseason in a hockey trade. 
who do you think, like, let's take them individually, you know, of those three players, you know, what's the future for them here? Do you, do you think it's likely Konechny stays? My, from what I've heard about Konechny, my understanding is that they like him. You know, they like him as a player. They they still view him as part of, you know, the young core. He's obviously not that young anymore, but he's not old. He's, he's in the heart of his prime. Um, that said, he's the kind of guy where I think if he were to get moved, he would get moved in a deal that brings back a superior player. Like I don't see him getting traded, you know, for futures. Like I don't, that, I don't think they would like move him in a Braden Shen type trade. I don't think they're anywhere yeah. near that point, but I do think that, you know, if, if you can transform Travis Konechny, you know, in addition to some draft picks, a prospect, whatever into a better forward, or a really good defenseman, then yeah, I think they would they would absolutely consider that. I don't think he's off the table, but I think the idea that like they feel like they need to move Travis Konechny, that's faulty because I do think they like him and and they think that they can get him back to where he was. Maybe not to the point where he was a point per game guy. That might have just been a career year, you know, in the in the, the year that was paused by COVID. Um, but I think they certainly believe they can get him. Back you know, scoring more goals. I, I think yeah. that's a, that, that's something they're confident of, confident of. And, you know, that's not somebody I think they're just going to give away. That said, as I, you know, as I noted, if they can use him to get, you know, because Travis Konecki is a good player, but he's probably a second line player on a yeah. really good team. If you can use him to get a first line player on a really good team, then I think that's something they would absolutely consider. But I'm not, I don't think he, to me, he's not a guy who they're like itching to trade. That said, he very well could get traded. Yeah, I agree with you. Sanheim's another interesting one. Um, Al Pajar put up this stat today. Uh, AV was fired on December 6th in the top five defensive uh, scoring in the NHL, five on five since then. Yossi's 34 points, just ridiculous. Uh, McCarr, 30. Uh, Shea, 30. Uh, Taves, 27. And Travis Sanheim, fifth in the NHL, five on five over the last five months in scoring with 25 points. And we've seen his play improve and his confidence and his willingness to jump up in the play. But he's also going to be a UFA after next year. Uh, does that lend to him not being traded because of the way he's really kind of moved forward? I mean, he's, I think, plus six on a team that is like minus 60 something in goal differential. And I don't put a lot in plus minus, Charlie, as you know. But I mean, that one almost is glaring. No, and especially when his most regular partner is like minus 14. So, yeah. you know, it, it kind of shows the impact that Travis Sanheim's had this year on everybody. Um, Sanheim's interesting. I do think that, you know, out of the three, I feel like Sanheim, and this is more a hunch than anything else, but I feel like he's probably the least likely to get moved. Um, that said, like the, the the looming UFA status does throw a wrinkle into this because you got you to have, have that in the back of your head of, you know, could we lose him for nothing? Yeah. You know, will we have the cap space depending upon the other moves that we choose to make this summer? Will we have the cap space to resign him? Is, is that even going to be in the cards? But I think that number one, I know they've really liked the season he's had. You know, I believe it was the the final game of, of Claude Giroux's uh, tenure in Philly, his farewell game when uh, when Bob Clark went on the um, the broadcast with uh, with Jim Jackson and basically like touted it. Um, Travis Sanheim, you know, brought him up unprompted. And that tells me that, you know, in those internal conversations that are being had with the people that Chuck Fletcher trusts, they like Travis Sanheim. I think the fact that they re-signed Rastus Linen says something about Travis Sanheim because part of the reason why they they like Ristolainen is because they like that pairing with Travis Sanheim. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to give Rastus Ristolainen a five-year extension when, um, you know, when you're going to trade away the guy who he has chemistry with. Like that doesn't make much sense to me either. So to me, it's like, okay, if you're going to do that, then, you know, maybe you have designs on making sure you keep Sanheim. Um, plus the fact that he only has one year left on his contract. I mean, that decreases his trade value. Probably he's just basically a rental because the same questions are going to pop up for, um, you know, for anybody who acquires him, obviously he's still a value. You know, he's still a guy who teams around the league, like particularly, I think more analytically focused teams are, are fans of Travis Sanheim, but you got to have the same feeling of, well, we, now we got to try to convince him that to, to stay, we got to try to convince him to resign. We don't have that existing relationship with him the way that say the flyers do. Um, so Sanheim, you know, is he a guy who's off the table? No, because I mean, they do have Cam York who could theoretically slide into that second pair role. Um, you know, so there's that 
as a, a potential driving force behind why you can convince yourself that for the right guy, Sanheim should be expendable. But I think they like Travis Sanheim. I think they like the way he's developed. I think they loved his second half. It's been one of the few bright spots on this team. So if I had to guess, I think he stays. But as I said, I don't think he's off the table. I think very few guys are off the table. Yeah, I don't know that there's anybody that you slam the phone down on. There's guys you're not yeah. looking to trade, but I think you have to listen on I mean, you have two years in a row like this. You, you can't just say anybody's untouchable at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and not even last- that, you know, just like you think about it. And this is a point I made in a few of my columns, like three out of the last four years have been disasters. Yeah. You know, they've had like teams that are legitimately bad. Three out of four seasons are probably legitimately bad. And that we have to get past the idea of, well, they just had bad luck. Like, yeah, they they have had bad luck, but if you keep having bad luck this often, it stops becoming bad luck. It just starts becoming a trend. Yeah, it becomes what you are. Yeah. Um, and then the last guy of those three, Provorov, is he the most likely to get dealt? Because the one thing, like you mentioned with Sanheim, is he's got that pending UFA status kind of hanging there, and that could be an invitation for a team to have to spend a lot of money after they gave up uh, you know, a decent package to acquire Sanheim. So with Provorov, you don't have that. You have some cost certainty for a while. You have a guy that's in the lineup every night. Only missed two games, and that was because of asymptomatic COVID. He answers the bell. He can eat a lot of minutes. He's played on a top pair with uh, Matt Niskanen and been incredibly successful. He's had good point-producing seasons as well. He's going to yield you the biggest return. So is he the most likely? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Provorov is that, as you mentioned, his value around the league is very high. You know, yeah. GMs love the the concept of an in-prime defenseman who can take on those kind of minutes, who can be a workhorse, you know, who has skill, which he very clearly has. And because of that, he's a guy where, you know, if if you're Chuck Fletcher and your task this offseason, one of your main goals is that you're going to go big game hunting and you're going to try to get an impact guy, a real impact guy. And not like not even like a Ryan Ellis, but I'm talking about a guy who really moves the needle. Uh, from both a uh, you know quality of play standpoint and to be blunt from a fan interest standpoint. Yeah. And Provorov is the kind of guy who does have that kind of value around the league. I, I do believe that maybe not with every team, but I think with a lot of teams, he has that kind of value. I mean, again, look at Rasmus line and look at the value he has around the league because he's viewed as a workhorse who can take a ton of minutes and produce and whatnot. And Provorov has a more impressive resume in my mind that, than Risto did. And Risto brought back a haul as a rental. Yeah. Um so to me, you know, if you're going to try to get a really good player, Provorov is the piece who I think is most likely to have the potential to bring that back. Now, granted, you still have to work out a deal. Like you still have to find a team willing, and that's not easy. And again, you know, the, what I've heard on Provorov is that like they're not giving him away. You know, this isn't a case of they're desperate to move him. But it, it, look they don't have a lot of cap space. Like that's the thing. That's the elephant in the room here where, yeah. you know, obviously Chuck Fletcher and and Dave Scott from, from Comcast Spectacore, you know, went out there in, um, in late January when like, we're going to aggressively retool. We, we think we can fix this and that's great, but they don't have the ability to just go out and, buy a bunch of guys like buy their way out of it yeah they they don't i you know even losing the claude Giroux contract most of that gets eaten up by the raises that you're giving to joel farabee and sean couturier next year like that's that's most of claude Giroux's, you know 8.275 million dollar cap it is going to those guys you know so then you're like okay well maybe you you look to uh to move on from the final year of james van reeves contract okay that opens up some space but does it open up enough especially if you have to retain salary to do it Probably not. So if you're going to make big moves, if you're going to try to really shake up this roster, I think it's going to have to come via trades. And if you're going to try to get guys who can really move the needle, you got to give to get. And Ivan Provorov would certainly be giving to get because he's a good player. He has value um, and teams around the league really like him. So, you know, the, the, the hard part is, is that, you know, you trade, Ivan Provorov, and this is the problem that always, then you don't have Ivan Provorov anymore. So then it's like, okay, well, who's taking on those minutes? And then you have to either find some other way to get another defense, and which is is another thing you have to do in the summer, Mm -hmm. or you cross your fingers and you say that maybe Travis Sanheim is ready 
for top pair minutes. But then you have to bank on that Ryan Ellis will be ready next year to take those minutes alongside of him. And who knows what's going on with that situation. And then so who these, plays with Ristolainen where he and Sanheim have credit. Uh, exactly. Have then do you, you're, you're trusting Cam York or are you jumping Cam York all the way up to the top pair? Like none of these, none of these potential solutions lead to, you know, easy next questions it's all like you do one thing and that leads to another hole popping up so you know you got to be worried and that's why again i find that this aggressive retool concept while it's possible it could work and i noted this in my column today it's just going to be so hard to to do right you know you you risk it at every moment you risk you know robbing peter to pay paul you're you're weakening one area of your lineup to improve another and then it's like, okay, are you actually getting better or are you just bad in a different way? Yeah. And, and that's really going to be the struggle that the, the Flyers front office is going to have to deal with this summer when they're trying to retool this roster. Yeah. I mean, when they mentioned aggressive retool, like I, I try not to get caught up like what gets said in those kind of press conferences. You have to in a way because they said it. And yeah. the, the people that said it is makes it really viable and important. Um, to me, it's always more about what you do, not what you say. Um, and I, I just don't, I mean, if you, if you have one of those really good hockey trades and pro involved and you can get a really high end piece, then I understand that you do it. But to me, the more prudent, it, it, let me ask you this. Is there a middle ground between aggressive retool and rebuild? You know what I mean? Like where they would go into this offseason, go, if something presents itself in a good opportunity, we take it. But if it doesn't, we kind of go into next year looking at these young kids some more, um, you know, not not with, you know, aspirations of being a cup team. If you get in the mix somehow and you're in the playoff mix because hockey's a weird sport, who knows? You go, okay, that's great. But for the most part, you go, okay, we're kind of going to sit back again one more year, not go crazy and give away and make desperate trades and desperate moves to put ourselves in more peril long term. And let's get a little cap healthier. We can get involved in free agency next year and we'll draft well in this 2023 draft, which is targeted to be a really good one. I mean, is there that middle ground? Yeah, that middle ground certainly exists. You can, you know, avoid locking yourselves into a couple more, you know, big money contracts that that last through a guy's, you know, mid to late 30s because you worry about the impact that can have down the road. Yeah, there's that path where you say, okay, this was kind of a, a wash year because of injuries and everything and the coaching change and whatnot. Let's hire a new coach. Let's see if we can, you know, change the, uh, you know, the locker room culture that way, you know, we've moved on from Drew. So there's going to be a different look. Let's see how the, the younger guys step up. And if we're great, if we're good, then great. If we're not good, then we've got a high pick for a really good draft. Yeah. That that's a, that's certainly a path that could be taken. And maybe that's honestly the best path just because, I don't know how much they'd even really be able to blow this thing up if they really want to, you know, beyond, I guess, trading away like all of Provorov connecting in Sanheim just for futures, just to really, you know, try to make this team a lot worse next year and then load up on draft picks. Like, that's probably the only way because you look at guys like, you know, Couturier, Ellis, and, and Hayes. I mean, those are your big money contracts. You know, can you even trade them? Like, no. Hayes has uh, has has no trade protection. Ellis has missed the whole year with whatever this injury is. Couturier has a no movement clause kicking in when his new contract kicks in, and I don't think they want to move him anyway because he's a really good player and he's and coming off know, back surgery. Yeah, he's got, but he's coming off back surgery. So, like, how much value does yeah. he have around the league? Teams are going to yeah. be concerned about that. So, you know, you're kind of stuck in terms of how much you could actually do in a rebuild. But also, if you try to do this aggressive retool and and, and and go out and get a bunch of big name guys and really turn the roster over, then you risk putting yourself in a position where if the retool doesn't work, then it's going to take even longer for the inevitable rebuild to actually have an effect because you have so many you know, older players under big contracts that you just don't have any cap flexibility for the next five, six years, period. Yeah. That said, I mean, the, the elephant in the room here for me, and this has been this has been made so obvious this year is that if you have if you have any intention of really improving this team you've you have to go big game on it you have to it's the only way it's going to work like look at the power play the power play it's abysmal it's so bad and there's a lot of reasons for that i mean their their zone entries are bad they could certainly be coached better that that's that's without a doubt but to me the biggest problem with the power play is that 
they don't have anyone on these power plays that opposing penalty kills are scared of. They don't have anybody who, you know, opposing penalty killers have to always keep an eye on, have to, you know, are, are pulled to because they know if they give that player just a little bit too much space, he's going to score or he's going to set up somebody with a beautiful pass or whatever. They haven't had that guy really since Claude Giroux stopped being the hyper-dynamic offensive weapon he once was. And I'm not saying Giroux was still a really good player because he was, but he wasn't the same guy he was in his, his mid to late 20s. He he definitely you know had to adjust his game to be a little bit more of, of a two-way type player, and he did a great job of it. But you saw the negative impacts of his his you know, physical regression on the power play. He no longer could make the kind of plays, could blast the kind of shots the way he could, you know, when he was in his physical prime. So if you're going to fix the power play, if you're going to be a more dynamic five on five team, you need to get these high end players. But again, if you try to get these high end players and it doesn't work, then you're setting yourself up for cap hell and for the next five, six years. So that's the issue they run into where you know what the problem is, but is it even prudent to try to solve the problem given how many things are wrong with this team? Yeah, and and to try and do that in this offseason with minimal cap space without, you know, having to, you know, send organizational equity with guys just to create cap space because now you're losing even more picks. And, you know, they, they traded the second with Ghost and, uh, you know, they're going to try and recoup some of these picks maybe in some way, shape or form. But uh, with these drafts and you got to hit on the draft picks, what have you thought of Chuck's drafts? So far, um, when you look at some of the key guys, whether it's Tyson Forster, Zaid Wisdom, or, you know, some of the other young players that he's picked since he's been here, um, Brent Flair's, you know, when they were in Minnesota, they put a lot of that core together, some some good players that are there. Uh, what have you th- thought of the picks that they've made so far in the draft? I know it's hard to judge fully right now because it's just not enough time, but in your estimation, where are they at? I think the drafts have been fine. I don't think, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that any of the drafts have been, you know, slam dunk going to change the entire direction of the organization. But I think they've been they've been perfectly fine. I think they've gotten some so some really intriguing players. They've added some guys later in drafts like Elliot Desnoyers. Um, you mentioned Zade Wisdom. Um, you know, Connor McClellan's interesting. They've they've had they've added guys who you know maybe could be better than anybody really anticipated. Um, you know, later in in rounds, and it looks like you know it looks like Cam York's going to be a player. I think Tyson Forrester, as long as he he gets over you know all the you know the injury he dealt with this year, and he's back playing, so he should be. I think he can be a a weapon. You know, maybe a shooter on the power play like they so desperately need. Um, you know, Sammy Tuamala was. I don't know if he's going to work out, but I like the thought process behind it. You know, you need shooters, you need guys with high end speed. So let's go out and get more of a project type guy and see if we can turn him into what we need. So I, I like the fact that they're taking bigger swings because I think that was one of the flaws in philosophy of the Hextall era where they were a little bit too geared towards safer guys, you know, maybe with higher floors, but lower ceilings. And you're seeing the result of that now where, this team just, you know, obviously there's, this team's real bad this year on the whole, but the prospects they got, you know, or the younger players they have, none of them look like, you know, they have star level potential. And that's why we're talking about them being high end players. So I, I like the, the, the philosophical change and, and should be totally honest with you. Fletcher drafted pretty well in Minnesota too. Fletcher and yeah. Flair, you know, he's got a, a pretty good draft track record and, you know, maybe he never would have gotten let go had he been able to convince one of his draft picks, you know, Kirill Kaprizov to come over a little bit sooner yeah. because he's the star that the, the wild had needed for years. And Fletcher was the one who drafted him. He just didn't get to reap the rewards of having him on a team that he general managed. Um, so I think the dress have been fine. That said, and this is an important point to make, you know, at this stage of the Hextall tenure, Hextall's drafts look good, too. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they looked like they had a ton of steals, you know, they grabbed Oscar Lindblom in the fifth round, you know, they had, i um, trying to think like, you know, guys like Tanner Lazinski, you know, obviously they found Carter Hart and Wade Allison looked like he was going to be you know, a real player and still might be if he can ever stay healthy. Um, trying to think who else, I mean, Noah Cates was a, was a Hextall pick and yeah. he looks good so far. So like, and, and Hexy signs Phil Myers that looked yeah. great at the time. Right? At the time, it looked great. So, yeah. you know, it, it's hard for me to fairly evaluate Fletcher's draft, uh, you know, prowess as Flyer general manager, because I know in the back of my head that at this point during Hextall's tenure, I thought a lot of Hextall's players were going to be, you know, surprising 
um, contributors given where they were drafted. And it's just a lot of things broke against the Flyers. And again, some of that is maybe development. Some of that is just plain bad luck. I mean, you look at Oscar Lindblom. Oscar Lindblom was looking like he was going to turn into, you know, a potential second top, second line, you know, second line top six guy. And, you know, he gets cancer and unfortunately he struggled to get back to that point. And that's not something anybody could have predicted. That's just bad luck. But you know, bad luck could easily hit the, uh, the, the Fletcher draft picks too. So I just, I, I don't want to necessarily count my chickens before they're hatched with the, the guys coming in this wave, because maybe we all did that a little bit too quickly with the guys that came in the Hextall wave. Yeah. I mean, sometimes development to get to the NHL is on a, on a perfectly acceptable arc. And then when you get to the NHL, things can change. And we've seen it even change where guys got to the NHL did and then regressed. So that's part of the equation as well. Let me, let me ask you if, you know, big game hunting real quick, uh, your targets, if players you would target in that big game hunting kind of hockey trade, is Dylan Larkin one of those guys? I mean, if Marner was available, he'd be one of those guys for sure. You never know what's going to happen with Toronto. They're going to have a tough first round matchup, but, and that's kind of been my pipe dream. They get bounced in the first round and I send a big package to Toronto because they have to do something different. And, I, I pry Marner out of there because Matthews is the face on the marquee and Tavares is the captain. And I try and get Marner and that replaces Giroux in a lot of ways with a lot younger guy, bigger paycheck. But um, you got to look at guys like that, I imagine, is where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, if Mitch Marner was available, he's absolutely a guy you have to go after. Oh God, I think, yeah. uh, you know, he's he's dynamic. He's a scorer. At the end of the earth. Yeah. You know, he's he changes the entire complexion of that power play just by putting him on there. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- we're 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 in the right spot, I think, in terms of the quality of players that they need to be looking at if they really wanted to to give this aggressive retool a go. Um, Dylan Larkin's real good, you know. He's he's obviously the the big thing with him, and he's skilled. Don't get me wrong, but he's such a good skater, and, and so they could, fast. They could use so much, you know, especially given the way the rest of their their center core shapes up. I mean, to give them an elite skater down the middle to pair with Couturier and Hayes. I mean, suddenly that's a that's a pretty concerning uh center group for for opposing teams so yeah larkin's one of those guys you have to look at you know i know there's been some some ideas thrown around where the jets might be looking to to make some changes and you know if shifley were to become available i mean he's a guy who you know could actually kind of fit both of those things where we that we talked about where it's like you're getting a high-end player but he's only got a couple years left on his contract so you're not necessarily locked in you know forever if this whole thing just doesn't work you know, you can sort of just say goodbye. We're going to rebuild now in two years if it doesn't Off work commitment. out. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's value in that for the Flyers that might not be there for other teams that are looking for more long term solutions. But yeah, and I think we're we're on the same page with regards to the the caliber of player that they would need to be looking at. And then of course there's you know that elephant in the room named Johnny Goudreau, where you know yeah. okay if he does hit free agency and he does want to come back to the Philadelphia area, do the Flyers, you know, move heaven and earth from a cap standpoint to make sure they can fit him? That they might, because I mean, how many times do you have a guy who just scored a hundred points, you know, call you up and be like, Hey, I want to join this team, find a way to make it work. And that that's not out of the realm of possibility if if Calgary can't find a way to convince him to stay. Yeah, I mean the season that he's having, you would not think that he would be a player that would flourish under Daryl Sutter. Right. (laughs) But he has, I mean, it's unreal this season, like his five on five number chart are, he's not just eating on the power play. No, the dude's eating everywhere. No, he's been great. And I mean, there's obviously some concern there that like, you know, would he be able to do that on another team? Obviously Daryl Sutter is a great coach. And also, you know, the, the, the flames have guys like Kachuk who can create space for him that the flyers maybe don't have yeah. those kind of players. So you wonder, do you replicate it? And then there's the simple fact you, I think we've talked about it before. There's the, uh, there's the Mike Trout factor where it's like, mm-hmm. would, does he actually want to come back and play for his hometown yeah. where the, the demand on him is going to be huge? Or does he just kind of like the idea of, of showing up and, you know, being a Philadelphian and all, but, you know, actually playing for the town, which I think is what Trout always wanted. Like he loves going to Eagles games and, you know, being like a Philadelphia celebrity, but the idea of playing here for the Phillies, I'm not sure ever really, you know, was something he was super excited about. So, you know, especially with how poor the teams played, maybe, Goudreau looks at it and is like, I don't know if I want to come in and be expected to be like the savior of this team, considering how much of a mess they look like from the outside. And that would be the case if you're signing a player with that kind of contract that he is going to be looked upon. And sometimes you don't want to, for lack of a better term, you don't want to shit where you eat. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? You yeah. don't want to go back home and, and 
ruin back home because that's always a safe place to go as a pro athlete. Like Mike Trout would come and go, I'll play baseball out there <laughs> and I'll enjoy my you know history back here. Um, it's just a shame that Mike Trout's made the playoffs one time in his career for the numbers that guy has put up. He's unbelievable. Um, let's talk about some of these young players that we're getting to see. Uh, Noah Cates, well, he had some really pointed things, Charlie, to say after the game last night. I was really impressed with where he went in his comments about, you know, teams that that win and have swagger and a confidence. And, you know, young player just played 10 NHL games so far coming out of college. Uh, th- those were big words, but I think because they're, they're fresh eyes and a fresh voice, they can have they can resonate. And I don't think they'll piss people off because what he said was dead ass true. Yeah, I I mean, I was the one who asked that question, and I kind of I, I'm going to address this in my column for tomorrow. I kind of feel bad because I hope I didn't put him in a position where he's going to tick off his teammates. The, the kind of the impetus behind that question came from uh, I was out on the road trip. Um, that that last road trip that ended in Minnesota, which ended with Noah Cates having his his NHL debut in front of his whole family, it was a really cool thing. And his his media availability that morning with us, you know, he was obviously fresh off, you know, Minnesota Duluth, um, you know, getting knocked out of the tournament. But like, you know, they've they've won they won titles. You know that that's a that's a very successful uh, program there. And he brought up something to the extent of like, you know, I come, I come from a winning culture and I want to try to bring some of that winning culture, you know, to, to Philadelphia, that that's something I want to do. So that was something he had brought up. So the question was less trying to like throw the rest of the team under the bus and more just kind of following up on something he had already said a couple of weeks ago that not a lot of people had heard, which was, you know, Hey, you said you kind of wanted to bring this winning culture. You've been here for, for a couple of weeks. You know, what do you, what do you think this team doesn't have that, that that team had, because obviously you're losing a heck of a lot more games with this team than you yeah. did when you were in college with with Minnesota Duluth and I think he tried really hard not to throw anybody under the bus you know he made it clear that like he thinks there's good leaders in this room but he was just being honest and and I don't think saying that like a team that loses a lot doesn't have swagger and doesn't have confidence like I don't think that's a terribly controversial thing or at least I don't think it should be because obviously a team that's losing a lot isn't going to have any swagger yeah. or any confidence because winning breeds confidence and the Flyers have had a utterly dismal year that probably has destroyed the souls of pretty much everyone who's been in that locker room the entire year heck they had to live through last year which wasn't that much different yeah. so you know I, I do think that I think those those comments will be will be read and maybe they may rub some people the wrong way. I just I felt a little bad that maybe, you know, it put him in a tough spot because he was trying to respond to, you know, something that, you know, you know, an original question that maybe not a lot of people knew was asked. Um, and also he's coming from a successful, successful, successful program. And obviously is going to feel a lot different than this, this organization does considering where it's at at the moment. Um, but I do hope and this is why I asked the question. I do hope that, you know, someone like him who was a captain on a really good college team can bring that ex- the expectation of success, you know, and, and I know we can we can talk about, you know, the, the the flaws of the Mike Richards captaincy. But the hard truth is, is that like he won everywhere. I mean, yeah. he won at every level yeah. and he brought with him an expectation that his team in the NHL was going to win too. And I'm in no way, shape or form saying that Noah Cates is the next Mike Mike Richards. He's not that talented. And I've really liked what I've seen from Noah Cates so far, but if he could bring that confidence, if he could bring that expectation of success, even just a little bit to this locker room, I think it could help because they really need it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And this play on the ice to me, he's just a really smart player. Like I can tell watching him, Charlie, he's been really well coached at every turn. You can just see it, right? Yeah. And not only that, you know, I remember, I remember I went to, I think it was the draft in Dallas. It was the first draft I went to. And um, it, the Cates had been drafted, I believe, the year before. And I was talking to a scout at that draft and basically asked, like, hey, are there any Flyers prospects? It wasn't a Flyers scout, but I was like, hey, are there any Flyers prospects that like are under the radar who you think are better than people give them credit for? And he said, Noah Cates, without a doubt. He's like, this is a guy who coaches absolutely love. Yeah. You know, he does so many little things right. And he's got he's got things to work on. He's got to improve his skating stride. He's not a finished product. Because this was back in, I guess it would have been 
guess it would have been 2018, I yeah. think. I think 2018 was the Dallas he draft. Was 2017, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the 2018 draft, that was the draft they took Farabee and Jay yep. O'Brien. And um and he was just like, Yeah, this is a guy who coaches just adore. And he will find a way to get the most out of a skill set. And you're seeing it now. I mean, the yeah. thing that I've been the, the most impressed with Cates thus far, and this is in large part because I haven't had the chance to watch him much over the last couple of years, his skating has gotten so much better. Oh, yeah. Like he he used to his skating stride, and I remember watching him at multiple development hits. It used to be a mess. I mean, there were it was like flailing limbs, so much wasted motion, mm-hmm. and he just didn't get from point A to point B that fast. And he like, no, he's not a burner. But he doesn't look slow. Like no. he looks quick. He looks legitimately quick on the ice. And he does. If I didn't know that he had a skating issue, you know, in his his early post draft years, and I watched him today, I wouldn't even think of it as a skating issue. I would yeah. just think, yeah, he's a pretty good NHL skater. And if if he can, if, if that's him now, if that's just he just fixed it. Now he's just a good NHL skater. You know, I have to raise my expectations for for what his ceiling could be. And I'm again I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but I looked at him as like, yeah, he, he he's going to be a good bottom sixer. Now it's like, yeah, maybe he can be Middle. like, a, you know, maybe he can play up the lineup. And you know, yeah, mm-hmm. on a great team, he's probably a third fourth liner. But like, you know, if you put him on the second line with the right, you know, with the right center, he can he can he can make it work. And he could do that for a month and, and be on a, a darn good line. And, and he plays fast too, because he thinks the game really well and he's in the right spots. Like I've just been, it's, it's a weird thing to be impressed with for me, but I've been so impressed with him in the neutral zone. <laughs> yeah. Just the, his positioning in the neutral zone on quick, you know, quick ups and recoils and turnovers defensively, offensively. I think he's been really good there. He breaks up a lot of plays in the neutral zone. He, he anticipates. <laughs> there was a play last night I was watching, and it was uh, Kevin Hayes had the puck in the offensive zone, and, and so Cates is playing off puck, and Cates skates in front of the guy. It was the it was a defenseman, and like basically crosses in front of Hayes, and not only like sets a pick, but also lifts the guy's stick as he's skating past mm-hmm. him to give Hayes the option to try to do a cross slot pass to somebody on the, on the other side of the ice and nothing came of it, but it's just one of those things where like, you have to think the game at a really high level for yeah. that to even pop into your head that like, Hey, not only am I going to try to give my, my line mate more space to make a play, I'm literally going to remove the stick in the passing lane from the equation for a brief second, just to give him the potential option to try to shoot a high danger pass across the slot. And that's yeah. the, like, that's the kind of play that very few guys are going to think of and watching it. I'm just like, yeah, that's Noah Cates. Like, that's just who he is. Yeah, that's you're right. It just gives even if he doesn't take the option and it is now there and the defense has to account for it by him doing that, too. Um, speaking of skating, let's talk about Bobby Brink, because he's uh, a few games into his pro career now coming off that national championship at Denver. Um, I mean, the stride like Noah Cates doesn't look different than it did in his draft class a whole heck of a lot. (laughs) It's, I don't know that I've ever seen, I was talking to somebody last night that played in the league and said, I've never seen a guy skate like that at the NHL level, but he gets there and he's a gamer. Uh, He's got a lot of commit to his game and he's grimy as, as they get not a big guy, but uh, he's, I mean, he's looked pretty good. He's made some smart plays, that little chip out of the zone to make a play passive defenseman he's he, he looked pretty good yeah yeah i've i've liked what i've seen from rank i did an article on him after his first two games kind of breaking down the the strengths and weaknesses and look the skating first off it, it doesn't look good and that that i think is really the not aesthetically uh, pleasing it's not aesthetically pleasing and that was why he slipped to the second round you know that and, and the combination of that and the height because there's there's a general feeling and it's not an incorrect feeling in scouting circles that if you're going to be small you better be a really good skater and brink is not a really good skater that said i don't think he's as bad of a skater as he looks as you implied where you know it doesn't look good but it works for him i don't think his acceleration is bad it's that the, the top end gear like there's just so much wasted motion it just it it looks choppy and it makes it so it's harder for him to win those like three four stride puck races but then there have been times where he's he'll lose that race like he'll lose that race to somebody who he probably should win it against but then even though he loses the race he gets his stick in there and ties up the play so it's almost like he didn't lose that race yeah the tenacity makes yeah it's tenacity and it's just 
again, same thing with Cates. It's that hockey IQ, you know, the flyer scouts. And again, there's, there's something to be said that maybe they should draft a little bit more for, for raw skill, but they do. They've always loved hockey IQ, at least over the last decade or so. It's, it's such a, a key aspect of what they prioritize in, in guys they look to draft and, and Brink has, it. you know, Brink absolutely has it. And the question is just going to be whether, you know, he can, I don't think he's ever going to be a dominant five on five player. And he probably to, to maximize his five on five ability, you're probably going to need to have him on the right kind of line with the right kind of center that can do a little bit more of the, you know, not, I wouldn't say puck moving, but probably puck carrying because Brink is always going to be more, I think a more of a support guy on entries. He just doesn't have the kind of the straight line speed to push defensemen back to get the puck into the zone. He's not an off the rush player at all. Yeah. So he's, if he's going to play off the rush, he's got to either be the second guy in, or he's going to be the guy who's like passing the puck into the zone because he can't really carry it because he just doesn't scare people. But once he gets into the offensive zone, I mean, he's got such great playmaking ability that you would think that there's a way you can find, there's a way you can make that work. There's a way you can make him into a legitimately good offensive player to the point where he can put up points in the NHL. It's just, you know, he's, he's unique. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be as simple as like, just put him out there with anybody, anybody he's going to excel. I think you need to, you need to figure out ways to maximize his skill set. but I think he's got an exciting skill set. Yeah, I do too. And he'll go to the net. And, you know, that's where goals are scored, too. And and the, the one thing that's underrated about him is his playmaking ability. He's, a, you know, he's a really good passer as well. Um, last one to ask you about is Owen Tippett. Obviously, he comes over in the Giroux deal. Uh, you and I have both commented on his skating and his explosiveness. Uh, much better skater and much more explosive. I guarantee he's worked on that in all seasons because he, he can really get after it on his feet and, He's got a quick release and he's not afraid to shoot the puck. What have you seen out of Owen Tippett? Yeah, you know, his his skating, I knew he was a good skater, but it's considering his um, you know, his size, it's it's surprising how well he moves. Yeah. Um he's clearly got all the tools. Yeah, that's the thing with Owen Tippett. You watch him and the tools are there. The tools are there for him to be a top six forward, a top six winger in the NHL. I you just want him to finish it more. Like that's been the thing. And I'm actually, I'm in the process of working on a feature, you know, on that very thing of like, how can you get Owen Tippett to finish on more of his chances? Because going back to his draft here, I mean, that was his calling card. His calling card is that this guy has a great shot. This guy is going to score a lot of goals at the NHL level. And he scored a lot of goals in juniors. He scored a lot of points in the AHL at the NHL. He just hasn't been able to finish as much as you would think a guy with his shot would be able to finish. And granted, some of that might be unfixable. Some of that I do believe is decision-making. And and those are the kind of things where like, I tend to think that decision-making hockey IQ are, are more innate to players. You know, you can improve it a little bit, but it's more or less the kind of like you are what you are in that yeah. sense. And you've seen that with Tippa. You've seen him make some passes that don't make a lot of sense, take some routes with the puck in the neutral zone that kind of put him in no man's land. Like the decision-making I don't think is super high end. Not to say he's, he's dumb as a player or a person, but it's just not like it's not on the level of a Noah Cates or a Bobby Brink like we just talked mm-hmm. about. He, he's more of a tools guy. So the key to this is how do you maximize the tools and they just, they need to crack the code of figuring out how to get him to finish on more of his chances because he's creating so many chances. I mean, he's every night he's creating one or two grade a opportunities. He's just not finishing on most of them. And you would think that it's going to come to him at some point, but obviously Florida eventually got fed up with it because they were willing to move him. So it, this is where the Flyers development staff really needs to get it right because they need to to work with him. I know he's he's planning to go back home this summer. Last summer, Tippett worked mostly with the Florida staff. He stayed down there. He mostly worked down there with them, I think mostly to show them like how committed he was to, to getting this right. This year, I believe, and I'm hopefully going to get a chance to talk to him soon, but I believe he's planning to go back home to work with his, um, his old uh, juniors coach, James Richmond. Um, on and one of the things they're definitely going to work on is you know finishing you know shooting deception the kind of the ways that like somebody like Austin Matthews with the, the angle of his stick and yeah, and releases. things like that is is able to to deceive goalies those are the kind of things that NHL players have to work on you know they have to add to their game if they want to be scorers at the top level and a lot of it is going to come down to I think how well the development staff both Flyers and outside of the Flyers you know can work with 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 Owen and then how much work he's willing to put in and. Everything I've heard is that he's a really good kid. 
Um, you know, he, he has a good work ethic. He's actually, um, from what I understand, he's, he's a pretty reserved guy. Um, but he's somebody who really, really cares. You know, he cares a lot about his team. He cares a lot about his teammates. So I do think he's going to put the time in. You just hope that they can crack it because there's clearly a good NHL player in there. You just need to figure out how to, how to develop him, how to mold him and how to, how to let him reach that ceiling, which is glaring to anybody who's watched these games he's played so far with the Flyers. Yeah, I agree. He needs a, needs some finishing school at the NHL level to yeah. figure out how to beat those goalies with more regularity. Last thing, Charlie, uh, Jared tweeted this in and he said, um, do you think a quote, be patient letter to the fans like the Rangers did a couple of years ago, could work here in Philadelphia. He said New York City is a demanding market, but Snyder, Clark, Holmgren have conditioned us to want results now. Are we even capable of being patient? So do you think a letter like, you know, the Rangers wrote that season that, hey, we're going to, you know, trade some pieces off. We're going to get a little worse here, but we're going to recoil and we're going to be better for it. Now, the Rangers obviously have a different position because Panarin only wanted to go there. Yeah. Adam Fox, drafted by Calgary, forced his way there. Uh, they made some good moves in there as well with Truba, and then they get a little lottery luck with Lafreniere and Kako, who haven't really been the driving force of where they are. A couple of that was Shashirkin, which yeah. is pretty darn good ad. Um, and they've recoiled really quickly. But that being said, would that kind of letter work here in Philadelphia? So my, I, a lot of people have brought that up. We've talked about it on our podcast. My answer to that, and you sort of hinted it, part of my answer my answer is that i do think it would work at the beginning i think that kind of letter probably would be received pretty well by by members of, by portions of the fan base you know who's like okay they get it they know that this isn't going to be a quick fix they know that we've got to you know we've got to really look towards towards fixing this and there's going to be some people who are going to complain because obviously they want to see a winning team they're going to be like oh we're just doing the hextall thing again great can't wait for yeah. another you know five years and that's not going to work either but i think it would be received pretty well at the beginning i don't know how much patience the fans would have for the reality of it um and this goes back to what you said about the rangers the thing with the rangers was that they they do the letter and the letter i think probably got a mixed reception but it, at the very least, I think it was appreciated for the boldness of it, that they were willing to do it. They were willing yeah. to be honest with their fan base. But then the fans didn't have to wait that long yeah. because then they get Panarin and they get Fox. And then suddenly it's not a rebuild at all. Like they, the Rangers, I think, were prepared to do a rebuild and then kind of fell backwards into not having to do one because they were able to pick up two superstars that only wanted to play in New York. And so it became an aggressive retool. <laughs> it became an aggressive retool that they sold as a rebuild, whereas yeah. the Flyers would be selling a rebuild and probably then have to actually do a rebuild. Yeah. And I think at the beginning, fans would be open to it. But then ha after having to watch a year or two of objectively poor hockey, I think there would be some that would stay, would stay be like, yeah, they were honest and we'll get there and we'll focus on the prospects. But a lot of people would then just find reasons to be angry. Yeah. Because people will always find reasons to be angry when a team is bad and attendance would not be good. You know, we, we are, look, we saw that with the Sixers. I mean, and granted, I mean, now the Sixers are good and now the place is packed again. It's not like you lose fans forever, but as much as there was a, you know, a cult following around the process and there was, and it was certainly good for things like podcasts, no one was showing up to those games. No. And if the Flyers were to do something like that, the same thing would happen. You know, yep. people people like me would probably be fine because there's going to be a a small dedicated contingent that's really into the idea of a rebuild and how it's going to work out. But like, if you're talking about coming anywhere near selling out in your twenty thousand person arena, I mean, that's not going to happen for a team that's openly saying we're not trying to be good for a couple of years. Yeah. And if you're it's okay with that, then fine. But like, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I always say this: it's easy to say tear it down and rebuild it, but Living through it is a whole different story. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're going to do that, if you're going to full go full down tear down, you can't waffle on it. You can't. You have to fully commit to the exactly the full length of it with no guarantee on the other side either. Exactly. I think when it came to the Sixers, for example, there there's a lot more people who liked the idea of the process more than they actually liked, you know, watching the process. Yeah. And I think it would kind of be similar in, in, in flyers world where you would have a lot of people who think it's a good idea, but they're not, even, they're, they're not going to the games. They might not even be watching the games. They like discussing it, 
they like debating it, but they don't really like actually engaging with the, the hard reality of what's on the ice as a result of it. Yeah. Living it is a different story. And you look at the process and you go, well, where did that get the Sixers? They still haven't gotten past the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, they're relevant and they have Embiid is a great superstar. But ultimately, the only thing that matters is, can you contend for a championship? And that's, it's harder than ever in the NHL. I mean, look at the playoffs. It's harder to make it than ever before. We still are conditioned to think that, well, just about every team in the league makes it. When 16 of 22 teams made it in the NHL, it's now 16 of 32. It's it's not even easy to get in the postseason anymore. And, uh, you know, there's some people advocating for expanded playoffs. Um, I don't even know how you could expand them when you look at the top eight in the Eastern Conference being so far ahead of the bottom eight. Yeah, unfair. And it's it's going to be tough for the Flyers to break into that because the vast majority of those teams look like they're not going anywhere. You know, yeah. you it's hard to look at like a Tampa you know, or, or a, a Florida or a Carolina and be like, yeah, they're set up to not be great in a couple of years. I mean, maybe you could look at like Pittsburgh or Washington. Boston, but even them, like they just seem to stay good every year. Like I've said this about the Penguins, every, every off season you hear that, you know, oh, this is going to be the year the Penguins fall off. And I say the same thing every time, show me the body. Like yeah. I am not going to believe they are going to drop off until they drop off. And is yeah. it going to happen eventually? Yeah, probably it'll, Sidney Crosby will eventually retire and Evgeny Malkin will eventually retire or drop off dramatically. Like it will happen. It always does. Age comes for us all, but like until it does, I'm not going to believe it's going to, I'm just going to believe they're going to stay good. Yeah. I agree with you because they just keep recoiling and eventually the credit card bill comes due, but they've managed to, to dodge the bill collectors to this point in some yeah. way. It's, it's unbelievable. Charlie, this was awesome. I thank you for doing it. You gave us a ton of time. And everybody's going to enjoy it. Uh, read your stuff at The Athletic. You're doing a great job there. And the Broad Street Hockey Podcast as well. Everybody can check that out on iTunes, Google Play, and all the, the regular outlets. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're on everything. We obviously record our uh, our weekly flagship show every week, usually on, uh, I would say, usually on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. But it varies depending upon the flyer schedule, of course. Um, then we would continue to record throughout the summer. And then we have a number of other shows. You know, we have Flight Perbly, which is a little bit more of a, a fun show. You know, we do, uh, you know, competition shows on all the teams the flyers are playing and things like that so uh it's really an entire podcast network more than anything else but yeah um definitely uh if you're interested in, in hearing more from me and, and my co-host at bsh radio definitely check us out check it out at broadstreethockey.com also uh at the athletic the great work that charlie does is there and will be reporting through the remainder of the season and obviously into a very pivotal off season thanks for doing this charlie you got it thanks for having me jason there he is charlie o'connor from the athletic great stuff well that was I feel like I, I need a spirit after that. I've never smoked before, but I feel like it was like a a lot of therapy right there. That's a ton of therapy that I think we all need as hockey fans in this city. Just so much going on, so many question marks for this team and, and going forward. Let me tell you about Parks and the all-new Bet Parks app. It's available right now. It's the best mobile casino and sportsbook you're going to find. It is now live, the new app, and it is fantastic. You got to take it from me. It's, I mean, so many different ways to get action, whether that's player performances, whether that's same game parlays, futures, you name it. It's all there. Points, over-unders, all of it's laid out and it's easy for you to navigate. So you got to check it out. Just sign up, get the app first, then sign up. Fun to use, faster to win than ever before. And again, you're going to find the ease of use on this so great. It's great mobile casino and sports book and right now for new and existing users existing users use the promo code jason750 jason750 and you can get a risk-free bet up to 750 dollars 750 dollars and this isn't like a sign up you just signed up open up an account thing no terms and conditions do apply so use that promo code jason750 on the all-new bet parks app you've got the remainder of the hockey season and then into the playoffs which is sickening just so much fun and these playoffs are going to be crazy you've got the hoops playoffs going on right now you've got baseball season you've got golf you've got tennis formula one whatever you want to get in on you can do it right there on the bet parks app it's all laid out for you there's little icons up there a little baseball or a little puck or uh, a basketball click on it that's the sport you want to get in you can combine them do whatever you want to do so check it out. Again, you're going to love it and use that promo code Jason750 
and get that risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions apply. So download the all-new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks again to Charlie O'Connor for joining us. He does great work at The Athletic. And like I said, I sit sometimes between him and Bill Meltzer in the press box. And I've never felt more uh, inadequate from a brain standpoint, an IQ standpoint, than when I sit between those two. (laughs) So uh, appreciate him joining us and hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Follow us on iTunes, on uh, subscribe, on all the different podcast platforms, and uh, really appreciate it as well. And also hit up Wildfire uh, Radio, Wildfire Podcasting, if you would like to do your own podcast. Uh, first episode's free. Just mentioned that I sent you. Uh, t- check in with Jim Grosso and the guys over there at Wildfire. And I'll get you all set up with uh, all the stuff you need to do if you're not that savvy with all of this stuff, getting it routed to iTunes and all that stuff. So, everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you coming up Thursday with Anthony DeMarco on another brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Leave your eyes on-